0: Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope, and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything.
1: Episode 15,
2: You Gotta Go Through It, August 7th, Day 3.
1: Life can change in the blink of an eye. My sister Elizabeth and I passed quickly in the hallway, trading places as she had come to find me, telling me to come quickly. I pushed back the curtain and entered Archer's room. He was very labored in his breathing, and he was in distress. It seemed I had just left and he had been calm. They were wheeling in the x-ray machine again, more chest x-rays another nurse was hanging another drip bag archer's eyes were slits and looked like they were rolled into the back of his head i wasn't sure i frantically looked at paula bobo do you know what happened she sat almost comatose oh my lord something bad is happening I reached to hold Archer's arm and got up close to look into his face. "'Archer!' I almost shouted. He opened his eyes. They were racing. He began to frantically jerk his head back and forth or trying to in small, hard movements with all the tubes. Oh, my God, he might pull out the tubes. Oh, my Lord, please calm him. Oh, my God, please let him feel free.' I thought for sure he'd rip them with his movements. The nurse shouted at him to not move. I said, Archer, it's going to be okay. Archer, look at me. It's going to be okay. I promise. As I desperately tried to get eye contact with him, my thoughts flashed. I will never leave his side again. Please, darling, we'll get you what you need. As quickly as he was lashing back and forth, he just stopped. Like it was a spell or something. What was it? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, I thought to myself. Oh, dear God, please tell me what to do. I felt panicky for a moment. I couldn't get to Archer. But I realized he was probably exhausted as his eyes got slitty again, and then he closed them. The nurses were busy checking the monitors that had begun beeping loudly with his thrashing as the room was chaotic. They silenced them, and as quickly as it had all begun, it all calmed again. I could hear the clicks of some of the buttons they pushed, and then the steady sounds of the machines and the buzzers of the hallway. Those nurses said nothing to me. I'd gotten out of their way quickly so they could get to Archer. I needed them to do whatever they did. But I felt their unease. The air was tense in Archer's room. I looked around to find my Paula. She was at the end of the bed, sitting in that little chair off to the side. It was like, in one second, my strong-willed, always-a-smile and reliable girl, whom I knew I could leave in charge of looking after Archer while I made all those calls, had changed. I can't quite describe it. She looked different. I wondered where Billy was, and as I turned to ask if she knew where dad was, I looked at her again, and she looked, well, she looked sort of grayish, thin, like a piece of old muslin, kind of airy, but dull airy, like, like she was suspended from some imaginary hanger draped on a chair and I couldn't get to her. It was all surreal. I felt this rush of just wanting to take over and take command like, what's going on here? Tell me, this is my family. It felt to me like no one knew what was going on with Archer. No one was predicting what was happening. No one was explaining what was happening. No one was giving us any notice of what to expect. My mind was racing and I felt, I felt like, like a bull and the red flag being waved at me was incompetence. I felt my pulse thumping in my wrists. I'm sorry, but that's how I felt. I pushed away from Archer's bed and stood up. I felt the energy racing to my feet and arms. Have you ever felt that way or been in a high stake situation, maybe a crisis too, with a lot of experts and felt that none of them knew what they were really doing in a situation that would define your life forever, or that you who had the most need to know were not being told, were even being excluded? Was my son dying? Was my daughter fading away? I was very, very aware of how scared I was, how crazed I was, and how helpless I felt. And in my own fear, I felt the flash of, of a certain arrogance as if I knew what was going on and they didn't. Didn't they get it? Didn't they know? My children needed to be held and assured. Make my children all right, I wanted to scream. I just wanted to hold my babies and make it all right. I felt like I knew what to do. Why didn't they? But I didn't
2: know what to do this time.
1: I expected them to know. We were in this hospital where they were supposed to have the expertise. And I did know that something very bad was happening and we were at their mercy. I needed them to act. I needed them to act quickly. It was not fast enough, but everything was just a bunch of machines monitors i couldn't understand i was going crazy and they were supposed to know what to do i mean they told me archer was flown to this hospital because they had the expertise in accidents like archer's where was the expertise i wanted their expertise I needed their expertise. Oh my God, please assure me you have expertise.
2: I felt like I was really going crazy. Have you ever felt that way?
1: I had my hand on Archer's arm as I looked at Paula on the other side of the room. It's okay to leave now, sweetheart. Go, go ahead. It's okay. Probably good to take a break. Go on now, as I made shoeing motions with my hand. Her tall, upright body slowly got up and turned towards the curtain door and sort of, sort of floated out. No, no, no That's that's not exactly what I saw. It was more that she was just... I can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> that's, that's just it. It's as if she was hardly there.
2: It sent shivers down my spine. It was like she was wispy.
1: As I felt my eyes squinting to try to see her more clearly. But I had to keep a close eye on Archer too. But I had to watch Paula. Paula but he was in the bed and she was leaving. She moved like a tattered old piece of cloth in the soft wind, a torn remnant. She was almost see-through. What has happened to my solid, sparkly, sunny, full-bodied girl? My sister Elizabeth commented on it, too, shortly thereafter. That haunting image of Paula is etched forever in my memory. As I think back on it, it's as if she were a dandelion. Do you know what I mean? Once sunny, yellow, grows anywhere, adaptable, tough, vibrant, and then you know the spent dandelions the puff balls the ones the ones the children pick and blow on to slowly watch where the little white wispy pods will go willy-nilly into the atmosphere blown without any real direction of their own i remember being worried and in the same instant I remember feeling yanked back to focus on Archer. Archer flashed his head to the left and the machines went crazy again. Two more nurses flew into the room as my baby girl disappeared on the other side of the curtain of Archer's room.
2: So do you remember Atlantic
1: City?
3: Had you been there before? Uh, Yes. I don't ever want to go back (laughs) for the record. (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Like, I think that the, I definitely have blank spots, I think from the trauma. I remember Aunt Elizabeth getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I remember that I was wearing like the same clothes. Like my body like felt different. Like it felt like weak and small even though it didn't really look different, but I remember Aunt Elizabeth telling me that I looked like I needed to like drink some water or like eat something. You know what I mean? Like it was just like my, it's like, like zapped me.
1: I mean, it's just weird, you know, like I could have just zapped a lot of calories and, and, and then you were shriveled. And, you know, when she said that, you know, you, that you felt weak and small, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me any of these phenomenon that our bodies go through because of what our minds are trying to make sense of. Because we still didn't have any answers. Yeah. For anyone with a loved one in the ICU, and you are just waiting and you don't know, and it seems that no one knows, And your child or loved one is suffering and confused, and you feel helpless, and no one knows, or if they do know, it's just a waiting game because no one really knows the outcome.
2: It's like being on needles and pins. Yes, it's exhausting. In hindsight now,
1: I understand more
2: what happens in the brain.
1: But I did not know that then. You see, the brain burns up an extraordinary number of calories and thus requires large amounts of glucose to think when in crisis situations. Without proper brain food, like nuts and proteins, the body will begin to burn fat, triggering the state of ketosis. However, this is not as good as it might sound because in stress, the body is sending all kinds of other hormone signals, including cravings for sugar and carbohydrates so it can function. It's no wonder regular folks in crisis in hospitals, yo-yo in weight, fluctuate high and low in their emotions and either drop too many pounds or put on too many pounds, exacerbated by poor food offerings and vending machines. The trauma experience, it's hard on the body. I had no idea the amount of energy that is expended on waiting. Yes, uncertainty around high stakes situations takes its toll. This goes for anything of serious consequence, waiting during close presidential
2: elections,
1: waiting for the end of an erratic pandemic, waiting for college acceptance or rejection letters, waiting for cancer pathology reports, so many things we wait on where the course of our future seems to be in the hands of others decided for us outside of our individual control. That is what it is like in the ICU and the trauma unit every day and in high definition extreme. But that isn't all. There is something else that is at play as part of a look back that I am beginning to understand more fully. Back in the Atlantic Care Trauma Unit, my normally positive and strong daughter, Paula, had experienced shock, real shock. The shock related to the trauma experience of Archer's injury, but also the shock just the day before, of laying her eyes on her brother for the first time. With Paula graduated college, living on her own and working, she didn't see Archer every day, but we had all just been together, carrying on in Illinois, having a great time. Her last memory of Archer was at Grandma Paula's 80th birthday, and Archer had his arms around his little cousins and around his peer cousins as they yacked it up, laughing, singing to grandma on the lake, on the boat, swimming, playing volleyball. And then she saw him for the first time after his surgery in the ICU. I think it was the knowledge of what we had been told that was the most haunting That Archer was paralyzed and would not walk or have use of his arms and hands again. (sighs) Just saying that to you still carries great heaviness for me. And Paula bravely agreed to talk with me about it just recently as we are exploring these early days for the first time. You know, I learned something so incredible and am grateful she allowed me the opportunity to inquire further. It might possibly be useful to you. Oh, I am so grateful for my children. And oh my, how I continue to learn. Here's an excerpt of my interview with Paula about her memory of seeing Archer first time.
3: Um, yeah, I remember my, my whole body like vibrate like was like like it was like on fire.
1: Wow. When you went through like the entryway into where Archer was and having been told ahead of time that you can't touch him, can't do anything, but you remember a sensation like your whole body was on fire. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that experience where you just felt on fire the way you did when you saw Archer for the first time? Have you ever experienced that again?
3: Yes, when I had a panic attack. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, um, it, it's really part of, of the healing to be able to tie when you had that panic attack. When was that? Two years ago
2: hmm
1: so three okay. years after archer's accident to know where that had you ever had that feeling of that kind of fire before you saw archer
3: no not like that i had like shortness of breath or like you know racing hard or something like that but this was different this was like every cell in my being was like lit up
1: yeah so so now you know right your body was talking to you then, caring for you, right keeping you alive, and revisiting that actually in a way to make sense of it and begin to metabolize that that and the panic attack that came, or if there were ever to be another panic attack that that had any of that same quality, you know, you know where it started and that's where our work is. Because your body was trying to protect you
2: with that fire.
1: And other people's bodies, including my own, may have responded really differently. But that that was your body's response and it's it's really quite precious you're alive you're that's, alive that's good <laughs> yeah. yeah and and if you don't know that we're going to remind you and right and or not and nothing's more important than you know whatever but you'll but that's for you to make sense of but But now now you know what you where, the origin. Now you know the origin. And that's powerful. If you have sensations or things that plague your health, like allergies or gluten intolerances or digestive issues or migraines or a host of other ailments you might suffer from, including lower back pain, I'll share with you that I have learned a great deal about origin of pain related to trauma. Holy origin, let's call it, because it's a pathway to healing trauma. We have, as human beings, this amazing ability to observe ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? Like Paula shared about the awareness of the sensation of being on fire and to tie it to when she first experienced that, when she saw Archer and then subsequently experienced it again in a panic attack. It's a clue for where to focus to resource the energy that's trapped in her body. There are so many amazing ways to untap this energy from alternative medicine, such as herbs and supplements and molecular medicine, to integrative medicine, like acupuncture and various forms of body work and tapping, and to trauma healers, such as somatic experience practitioners, an EMDR specialist and all kinds of other
2: body work including qigong meditation yoga and prayer
1: we are in a wonderful time on the planet to wake up to all that is available to us for healing Methods and modalities and ways of thinking about trauma healing that are there if you research and ask. All it takes is an open mind and a willing heart. And as one of my healers, my naturopath doctor tells me, you don't even have to believe. But they work to rebalance the body and to move the energy through the body. But there's another real learning about the trauma experience at the time when it is first unfolding. Call it the crisis. It is all consuming then. Roles and relationships you may rely upon normally for daily support might not be there in the same way if those folks are experiencing and in the crisis too. And they may not be there in the same way if they have previous trauma experiences that may not have been worked through that just get re-triggered. It's just the way it is for many people because the human body and human mind only have so much bandwidth without other alternative and integrative and spiritual supports. This short bandwidth without the other supports has caused many families, marriages, and siblings strife, and even breakups because of the distance that is created from the fractures and inability to rebound or to forgive or to metabolize. And much is
2: dependent on ways of thinking that come from different life experiences. Relationship
1: fractures are another fallout of the trauma experience, even with intact families. But it's virtually impossible for each family member to be there for all the others. And remember tunnel vision? Well, each person in a crisis on the front end likely experiences some version of tunnel vision. It was Paula who gave me another glimpse of what it was like for her sitting with Aunt Elizabeth with Archer on day three as Archer began to struggle mightily, and she felt so untethered. She was also in the start of a serious relationship with Michael, who later became her husband,
3: at that point, I was so also consumed with, like, getting in contact with Michael, like, like, I, I was not, I wasn't talking to anybody except for our family, like, that, I was, like, in New Jersey trying to get a hold of Michael.
1: I feel like I remember you trying to get a hold of Michael. Maybe I was just, like, so, like, single-track-minded I wasn't even. That's just it. That, I just want to mark that. Um. I think it is a really normal, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It's unusual, but I think it's a normal response to trauma, to be so one track minded, whatever it is for each individual person, it's one tracked. And if it other things, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fall sort of, like almost like you're scanning to match up with that track. And if this is how I experience it. And if, and if it doesn't match up with that track, it's just in the periphery. You still don't see it.
3: Mm-hmm. Whereas normally you're able to like do a lot of different tracks all at the same time. Exactly. A lot of different things, a lot of different, exactly. keep a lot of balls in the air. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Exactly. It's
3: like it like closes in. It's not even like one track mind. It's like a tunnels. Into yes. like it's like, like yeah like but tunnel vision yeah like this feels like it like narrows na- uh, like
1: like telescope vision <laughs>
3: <laughs> like uh like pinpoint <laughs> yeah 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 that narrow it was just it's just
2: all so surreal that narrow yes
1: it can be all-encompassing for each of us in our own pinpointed ways that's an important part of the trauma experience to also know and whoever is on primary care duty for the one injured or sick or in crisis it's all-encompassing tunnel vision It's just the way it often is from an everyday human capacity standpoint. Although it doesn't have to be that way long term with the help of others and
2: integrative health and spiritual support. To this day, my heart aches for my
1: precious children because there we were. All together in the trauma unit, in the hospital intensive care, taking turns bedside to Archer, rotating in and out of the family waiting room. They looking to me, their mama, even my siblings looking to me, their sister and the mama. And I know Billy did as well because those are our roles that we've danced into many years before as we practiced many versions of our marriage tango. But I only had so much capacity to be there for Archer
2: and to be there fully for each of my children. It's like I only had so much eyesight to pay attention to everything. Maybe you have experienced that, too. I bet you have if you have ever had a child in an
1: ICU and have had other members of your family you needed to take care of. Or even if you have been in a crisis that is all-consuming and you have others you need to care for and provide for. Maybe it was like that for each of my children, too, for each other. They're close like that. Well, the benchmark will be the durability of their relationships now and into the future. But back then, honestly, we had no idea what was happening to us. We were just in it, doing the best we could. It's really crazy, though, because it's amazing What only family members or maybe parents see that others might not, even those very close to us. And here's another interesting aspect of the trauma experience. Remember our friend from Kate May, Kathy Gianoskely. Well, she arrived at the ICU shortly after that horrible episode Paula and I had with Archer. She saw Paula as a rock. Isn't that wild? Even those who are so close may not really know or feel what it is like for the actual unit of people in the trauma, experiencing their world turned upside down. And on the other hand, Kathy or others may have just seen us in a moment of our trauma cycle. I mean, it's crazy that way. Many of you will be shaking your heads, yes, when I say what I'm about to say. And for others, this may be very new. During the trauma experience, we can cycle and we do cycle, no matter how strong we usually are, from strength to collapse. And then almost miraculously, Back to strength in the course of minutes, we do. And over the course of years, it's true. And this is what is so hopeful about trauma healing. In the suffering, there is much potential for personal strength and compassion
2: for self and others. I just love that. You know, in a recent
1: interview with Kathy Gianoskely, we were talking mom to mom, talking about the power of these podcast interviews for the healing of my family, piecing it together. And she said, for the healing of many other people too. And then we talked about Paula specifically whom she views as a daughter, too. Kathy was recalling her memories, which I had no idea about, of the day I was sharing with you as Paula and I sat bedside with Archer. Kathy and I were talking while she was in the car, and I was doing the recording. Here is an excerpt. The question of her was that she
5: was so solid
4: she was so solid. And, and, yeah. Yeah, I'm to I can't wait to talk to her later tonight or tomorrow because I, I think that, like, something that's happening for me, too, I mean, granted, I've, I've been ensconced and I've had some, you know, really good people around me therapeutically to help me sort of um, regain myself and my memory and things like that. But I think that if I share with her some of the the details and just, you know, just be quiet and let it sort of sink in to see what comes back to her. Because I'm finding that through the interviews, you know, um, the interviews and and some, some of the people whom I've interviewed have a recollection actually that jogs mine for which I am enormously grateful. And then I realized that actually what they recalled is not really what exactly happened And of course it could be, well, their recollection, my recollection, et cetera, but, but it does help to jog my memory. And I, um, so I, so I'm feeling that as I finish each one of these episodes that, and I write and I cry and then I, uh, you know, and I go to record it, I, I, I'm, I'm really kind of clean when I finish it.
5: So I hope that, I hope that helps Paula
4: too. You know, it takes a few go rounds.
5: Would she want that though, uh Louise? Is she is she looking to kind of answer questions or is she kind of still protecting herself or I'm not sure what you would call it technically somebody that's traumatized that doesn't wanna Yeah. I, I would say she, that as well. she, may, she, may not, she may still not be ready to talk about it. Yeah.
4: Your your insights are are wise, um, as always. She told me that she realizes with uh, when we started talking last Christmas about um, reading, you know, the blogs as an Audible's book, and then it moved into the podcast. That and and she was really not too in favor of it. And then she came around like last spring and said, "I think actually," she told me, "that five years, I'm ready. I, I know I'm coming up on five years, and I think I'm strong enough now." to do the work, and to look back. But she has been protecting herself up, yeah. in, up until now. Yeah, and I think I, it's been quite purposeful.
5: I felt that she was a rock at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah.
5: Maybe her way of maybe, um, what's the word I want to say, sending out that, that strength uh, cost her dearly, and at the end of the day, or for the month, her wig Her way to recharge was to just retreat, um, look into it anymore, and and to kind of protect. I've seen people do that, with hugely traumatic things in their life. Just close that factor completely. It's very... It's rather extraordinary that people can function that way. Uh, my mother was that way, and my father was too. And despite, you know, paralyzing losses and terrible sadness, uh, their way of dealing with it was not to talk about it. In fact, to close the door, and you did not open. The door. Maybe they would crack. The door, you know what I mean? I do. I saw- Paula for being that type of person, but you never know. Maybe that's how she gets her strength. Uh, she she is a super strong person. It's just interesting, you know? yeah. But go down a path she doesn't want to, either. Though I I think uh, I think you raised her to be a strong woman, and if she doesn't want to talk about it. I don't think
4: she's going to. Yeah, I I'm with you. I'm with you. I she's um. She's a, She was a strong. She was strong-willed as a little girl, and I adored that about her. It also, you know, was challenging. But I love. I love the woman. I love the girl, and I love the girl who's become a woman. I do think that she walled off in order to protect the pain because the emotional um, overwhelm would have just been too much when she was where she was with her job and where she was, honestly, with kind of looking to take, she was the oldest and take care of our family while I was gone. I, I think that was a big part because she really did take care of Dutch that first semester. I You know, Billy was, I mean, he definitely was doing other things to hold, uh, hold us together, but he, he was pretty absent himself emotionally, um, with his, the way, again, we all deal with this and I'm, you know, absent, uh, in Atlanta. So I, I think it was, um, I think it was purposeful as, as purposeful can be with regards to just, I'm just going to do what I need to do to get through. And then, you know, and then her job got to be a lot more demanding and, and then she's forming a relationship, you know, with, with Michael. And then, Thinking about her future, and so I think she, I think she got uh, realized. I've got these things in place, and it's safe enough now to go back. So that if I fall apart, I have the, I have the right support around me. That's, that's sort of how I think she's viewing it right now. I think I
5: think it would be good for you to mention to her to coach her to yes. remind her that, yeah. Maybe she's gonna fall apart a little bit, and it'll make her sad and her emotional. But if she had the strength that she was, you guys wouldn't be
4: where you are now. She it's,
5: was a pill- Now she was a pillar. She was a pillar. Yeah, and
4: um, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's Paula who said we're gonna. I'm gonna post all these writings for you, Mama, to like relieve you. You know, just the things that she did. Um, and and for all the boys and yeah, she was she was a pillar of strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she really was. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. So uh, now we want to but, give, give her what she needs. but the, the can get up once in
5: a while, right?
4: Yeah, and actually, because she's you know has a whole life ahead of her, I want her pillar to know that. It can crumble a little bit, and will be put back even stronger, so that she doesn't have to harbor walling off where pain might get caught, you know, in her body and her organs, um, you know, just whatever it does for us when we wall things off.
5: I agree. Tony totally. and I were just talking about that, you know, that stress, how bad it is for a person and what it can do to you, physically. Yeah, physically.
1: I did share this with Paula shortly thereafter, and of course, it's true. We all experience trauma differently depending on our personalities, our chemistry, and other life experiences. It's true. However, there are overarching human commonalities, world over, and regardless of culture and life experience, that define a trauma experience. For starters, there is an intensity of an erratic flood of energy that spikes up and down over and over for a period of time, which depending on various interventions and decision-making can be metabolized or prolonged for years. What is predictable about the cycle is its unpredictability. But there are other markers of the cycle. They are markers to befriend, to make peace with. But the awareness of the cycle itself is something to pay close attention to if you are interested in long-term healing for yourself or others you love. For Paula, that cycle Was marked by the adrenaline clarity of decision making she had in Baltimore to get the rest of the family in the car to drive to Atlantic City, even overriding Billy, whose trauma response was to wait. To her experience of the fire sensation in her body, she was able to describe through our interviews that she felt upon seeing Archer. To the mental preoccupation, to her physical weakness as she felt small, even in size. And then to her newfound knowledge of the tie-in, the connection of that fire sensation related to her subsequent panic attacks and to a new way she can view that sensation as a lifesaver she can now befriend and a new way she can go through the trauma experience. And that there are wonderful people who can help her along in this journey of awareness so that it is a healing journey and not a trauma journey. I wanted to circle back to Paula, another warrior, my daughter with my new understanding of what I will call the cycle of trauma healing. I thought I'd close with the last excerpt of Paula's and my first time ever interview and our conversation. It was a special moment for both of us. I'm so glad that, um, I'm so glad we know how to be together. And that it's just sort of our instinctive thing to do. And that you led that, you led the way that night. when I, I know dad must've just been destroyed.
0: How
3: could he not be, you know?
1: Yeah, how could he not been, exactly. You'll, you'll know too someday when you're a mom Just um, your life is never the same because you love your child and your children because they are your flesh and blood. And, and, And even for moms who adopt and foster, you love those children. And it puts you in a really another place, we need, we need others to think for us <laughs> when something like this, this kind of catastrophic event has happened, so thank you. And I also know that there are lots of layers of trauma to continue working through and um,
2: to befriend like fire. Yes, like Paula's fire. Befriend the sensation. If you have experienced a trauma, a crisis,
1: or a deep loss, think of how it made you feel emotionally. And then see if you can identify the corresponding sensation in your body then go back in your life. See if you can recall a time when you felt that
2: sensation before. Think. Think hard. Go slow. Then ask yourself, what was it that triggered that sensation? Was that the first time or how I felt it before? Keep asking
1: your body. Your body knows. It keeps the narrative. It may begin to unlock some old chapters for you, just waiting to
2: be read and then closed. I wish you well on that. the trauma
1: experience is intense and it packs a lot of psychic and somatic energy in the body and it cycles up and down and back and around and that cycling in and through the trauma
2: experience is actually the path to long-term healing. It is. The goal is that It becomes less and less of a
1: grip on you each time you cycle through. It's about discharging and metabolizing that trauma energy each cycle so it softens and you can digest it more easily
2: so as not to re-traumatize yourself or others. And in that way, each time you cycle through, the memory, the pain,
1: and then the collapse, it has less of a hold on your life,
2: less ability to throw you off too badly. And you are back in alignment. That is, if you're willing to go through the trauma rather than to wall it off. Life can change in the blink of an eye.
1: I am learning more and more from the interviews, what it was like for others close to Archer. And they also help me to do my ongoing work. You see, those close to the person who directly experiences the trauma are impacted too. It doesn't remove the focus on the person himself or herself who bears the largest burden of the crisis and the trauma experience, like Archer, but it widens the lens of understanding. Even in some weird kind of way for a few, it may be as if the physical trauma has also happened to them. This phenomenon can happen for some parents and their children. Another mystery of the trauma experience. It can even be carried through generations if not healed. It happened to me. And I had to work through the experience of similar symptoms that Archer had, as if they were happening to me. A sort of synchronicity, like panicky, straight-jacketed, being trapped in my body and not able to breathe. And it wasn't the first time, as I had realized, I have been carrying another trauma of many, many generations ago that was not mine to carry. I'll tell you more about that later. But my sensations about Archer's injury and loss, they don't paralyze me so much anymore. I have metabolized most of those sensations now with the help of a good trauma care team over a few years' time. The cycle of trauma healing is what I am trying to articulate
2: and put into practice. The cycle is for regular folks, intact families, regular Joes and Josephines Living Your Life And then something catastrophic happens. For Paula, her
1: articulation of her trauma cycle of ups and downs in just the first couple days, as we all continue to be bombarded by the emotional and physical and mental barriers and realities of Archer's injury is the start for regular people like we are waking up to the awareness of the impact of trauma in our lives it breaks my heart to learn about Paula's suffering now which I am since it was the first time we had talked about it my baby now 30 years old and it's been 5 years And we are all still recalibrating. But it is also very hopeful. We now have greater understanding. And we are not in crisis. And we have a willingness to go through the rest of this trauma experience. To metabolize it. And make sense of it. And live fully again. It's just incredible, our human capacity to heal. And we are all so capable of healing. And we are all so interconnected. We impact each other to one degree or another. So let's have our impact be one of well-being. I've been exploring what kind of support those experiencing secondary trauma need to move through the trauma experience. You know, I have some strong beliefs that it is moving through trauma that frees us. Can't go around, can't dodge it forever, as it will take its toll on your health. And your internal organs, I have a lot of ideas about trauma support, and we'll share them later if that interests you. Please let me know by writing me at Louise at blink None of us has to do this work all by ourselves. <laughs> That's one of the biggest epiphanies for me. I've never felt alone because. I really love God. But we're also not alone in the work of being human with others. That's right. You are
2: never alone.
1: I would like to explore trauma
2: and secondary trauma more fully. Would that interest you? I don't want you to have to suffer. As we close,
1: let's all take in a deep breath as we are reminded how life-giving our breath is and how good it is to be alive today. And let us breathe out gratitude for the many alternative, integrative, neuroscientific, metaphysical, somatic, and spiritual ways of working through trauma that we are becoming more aware of and that are more available to us.
2: You are never alone. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything.
0: You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, Blinkofaneypodcast dot com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise phipp directly. Louise at com. She would love to hear from you.